Thank you, Sue, for reading that this morning. We're continuing our study through the book of Genesis, and we're going to be looking at the message today that I've entitled The Wrenched Socket. As we think about that, I want us to um, look at this illustration. NYU professor Adam Alter has observed the power names have to shape destiny. The technical name is nominative determinism, which literally means name-driven outcome. Alter points to the following examples. The current Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales is Justice Igor Judge. So see how his name matches what he does? His colleague, Lord Justice Laws, is a judge in the Court of Appeals. <laughs> so his last name is Laws. In the realm of athletic pursuits, Anna Smashnova is a professional Israeli tennis player. Uh, one of the things that you can do in tennis is smash the ball. That's one of the things. Anyhow, John Cafarcio knows what I'm talking about this morning. So smash Nova, professional Israeli tennis player. Uh, Lane Beachley is a seven-time world champion surfer. Wow. Derek Kickett was an Australian rules footballer. Stephen... Robotham was an Olympic rower for Britain, and Usain Bolt currently reigns as the fastest man in the world over the 100-meter and 200-meter distances. So other examples include Daniel Snowman, the author of a book about the Arctic and Antarctic, Christopher Koch, a notorious Jamaican drug dealer, <laughs> the rapper Black Rob, who was sentenced to seven years in prison for grand larceny, and Dr. A.J. Splatt, a doctor of urology. <laughs> oh, man. <It's> just <laughs> I found a couple for you here that you can see up on the screen this morning. I think the one guy's name is McBurney. He's a firefighter. Unfortunate. Um, this lady at the bottom you see there is a, a weather person with the last name Blizzard. And then the chef on the side, his last name is Kitchen. And I was sharing a little bit with my parents about this message, and my dad said, I, can you believe that there are doctors out there whose last name is nurse, and there's nurses out there whose last name is doctor? I'm like, how confusing is that, you know? <laughs> are you a nurse or a doctor? I'm not really sure. Anyhow, are all of these examples just coincidence? For instance, would Usain Bolt run just as fast if his name was Usain Plod? Alter concludes, researchers have shown that our names take root deep within our mental worlds, drawing us magnetically towards the concepts they embody. So names are important, aren't they? They're important, and we're going to see that today with Jacob uh, in this particular passage of Scripture, Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. As I think about names, our oldest son got his first name from my middle name. The family name actually rests with my brother, but he had two girls. And Judy said we could not have a Fred Jr. in our house, so that was my brother's name. We just joke about that. <laughs> but Wade, Wade's first name came from my middle name. My middle name is Wade. Our, our middle son got his middle name from my father and brother, and it is the family middle name. So my, my dad and brother both had the same first, middle, and last name. My brother is uh, the second, and so uh, our middle son's middle name is that family middle name. And then our youngest son got one of his two middle names from uh, Judy's father's first name. And so he, he's lucky. He's got two middle names. 
he can't really sign inside any box, by the way. It's too small. So names are important, aren't they? And they carry significance and meaning. Sometimes we wrestle, though, too, don't we? There's a couple of concepts we're going to talk to them today about as names and also wrestling. And when our boys were younger, I would get on the floor and wrestle with them. And on one occasion, I had our middle son up on my shoulder, and uh, his head was hanging over my back. And I had our oldest son on the floor, and I was wrestling there. And our, our middle son started to fall. And had I let him fall, he would have landed on his head. So I grabbed him tightly so that he wouldn't hit his head, and my shoulder got wrenched. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was the rotator cuff. And I tell you, for years I had pain in that shoulder and just was praying and asking the Lord to bring healing to that so I didn't have to have any injections or surgery. And, and he answered that prayer right before I had to start having injections because uh, I was telling the doctor, it still hurts, it still hurts. And he's like, well, the next step is injections. And so I praise the Lord for that. I'm, uh, you know, there have been several times when I've been working on a car and I've busted my knuckles trying to loosen a bolt. You know, I'm putting all my strength into trying to turn that bolt or, or plug on the oil pan when it finally gives way and the socket or the socket slips off the bolt and I just slam my knuckles right into the frame of the car, right? And uh, it's never fun. And it's definitely a wrenched socket. That's what I call it, you know, because that socket slips off and I bust my knuckles. It's never fun. As we think about this for you all, how many of us have names that are significant to our families? Maybe you have a family name. Maybe the, your parents named you a particular way because of something that was significant. Perhaps our, ha our names have meanings because of when we were born, our circumstances around our birth. How many of us have wrenched our shoulder, our knee, our back, our ankle, or something else? How many of us have busted our knuckles working on a vehicle or some other project? All of us can probably say, yeah, we've done some of those things. And so Jacob is preparing to meet his brother Esau, but the Lord needs to do a work in his life prior to that meeting. Jacob is not, the, uh, not only, uh, Jacob's not able to sleep, so he moves his family across the Yabok River and remains on the uh, northern side by himself. And this is just what the Lord needed in order to confront Jacob alone. And as we'll see, a wrestling match ensues, and eventually Jacob concedes and clings to the Lord. And what the author of Genesis wants us to understand from this passage today is that instead of wrestling with God, we must cling to him. Isn't that true? How many times have we wrestled with God, hoping that we would win, right? And he says, let me just touch you in your hip socket real quick. And then you're like, oh, I feel so weak. And then we have to cling to him because we can't stand on our own. And so as we think about that, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit it to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we just come to you today as weak vessels. You are all-powerful. And Lord, we just confess to you today the times where we have wrestled with you about something that you've asked us to do or asked us not to do. And Lord God, we don't want to give in. We don't want to concede we don't want to submit to you, and so we confess that before you today. Lord, we pray that instead of wrestling with you, that we would cling to you in the midst of that difficulty. So, Lord, would you come by your Holy Spirit now? Would you transform us by your word? Lord, I pray that only your voice would be heard today and not mine. 
because your word has power. And so, Lord, we just commit it to you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at two points today. The first is wrenched, and the second one is renamed. And so let's look at verses 22 to 26 in Genesis chapter 32 and see what God's word has to say to us today. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Yabok. After he had sent, uh, sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so what we see here is he's struggling with insomnia. How many of you have ever struggled with insomnia? Yeah, I've been there, done that. You know, and I don't blame Jacob for not being able to sleep, right? He has not seen his brother Esau in 20 years. He left 20 years before at the prompting of his mother because Esau wanted to kill him. And so as we saw last week, as Pastor Mark shared with us, the messengers that Jacob sent to Esau returned with the message that Esau was coming to meet Jacob with 400 men. And he interpreted that as, oh no, I'm in trouble. <laughs> he's coming with an army of people. He's going to destroy me. He's going to hurt me. So he's afraid. He is fearful. So no wonder he can't sleep. I wouldn't be able to sleep either if I thought somebody was coming to just take my family and destroy us completely. And so he... He had already prayed, and now he was uh, making himself busy as he waited for the next day to dawn. And so Jacob took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the Yabok River. And after they crossed, he sent all of his possessions across that same river. Hamilton, in his commentary, says this river is... Uh, the river in eastern, this river in eastern Canaan flows throughout uh, or through deep cut canyons into the Jordan about 23 miles north of the Dead Sea. It is approximately 50 miles long and descends from its source at 1,900 feet above sea level to about 150 feet below sea level where it meets the Jordan. So it flows from east to west about halfway between the Sea of Galilee, which is up in the north, and then the Dead Sea, which is below it. And, of course, the Jordan River runs between those two seas. The modern name for this, uh, this little creek or whatever stream is the Wadi S. Zerka, meaning the Blue or Blue River. In ancient times, it was the boundary between the kingdoms of Sion, of Heshbon, and Og of Bashan, as Kyle and Dillich tell us. And I believe this river crossing was significant and by God's design so Jacob would be alone. God needed him alone for a reason, for a purpose. And so, um, Wearsby quotes the British essayist Walter Savage Lander as saying this, the, audience, uh, the solitude is the audience chamber of God. Isn't that interesting? I want you to think about that for a minute. Solitude, being on our, our own, away from all the distractions, is the audience chamber of God. Like where he wants to speak to us, right? Where he wants to, to minister to us, where he wants to transform us. And that's what was going to happen with Jacob here. God had some work to do with Jacob before 
he returned to Canaan and before he saw Esau. And so while Jacob was alone, or with Jacob alone, a man now comes and wrestles with him until daybreak. We're not told until verse 30 who this man is, but in verse 30 we're told that it is God. And so when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and probably popped it out of joint. And here's some significant thoughts that we need to think about with this particular passage. Walk, he says this, humbling himself, God has come to Jacob on some type of even terms. Now, we don't understand that, right? Like, God's all-powerful. So how is it that he can't overcome Jacob? In, in, a, in some supernatural way, he comes to Jacob in even terms, but then he does do something supernatural. Jacob is 97 years old, and he's wrestling with some dude, right? We think about a 97-year-old today, and we're like, I don't see them wrestling anybody. <laughs> he's 97 and still strong. He's no weakling. If you remember, he rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered Laban's sheep in the presence of Rachel. Remember, they said, well, we have to wait for the other shepherds to come. It's plural in that passage so that they can roll the stone off of the well. It was heavy stone. And Jacob's like, come on. And he just rolls the stone away on his own and opens this well up to water Laban's sheep. Walkie goes on and says, a mere touch of the divine conquers Jacob. So here's a principle I don't want us to miss today. With God, we have to lose to win. Walton brings that out in his commentary. So with God, we have to lose to win. The Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him, A.W. Tozer points out. How many of us have wrestled with God in the past? Perhaps it was over a relationship. Maybe it was concerning a job or a career path. Many of us have probably wrestled with God about a financial decision. All of us have wrestled with God before becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, right? There's that battle that goes on, the spiritual war that, that wages. Did God have to weaken you in some way in order for you to submit or concede to him? What was the result of submitting or conceding to him? Were you blessed? Did you win in the long run? Like, yeah, I won. Because God's plan is best for us. How many of us are currently wrestling with God about something in our lives? Is it relational or financial, physical, emotional, or spiritual? Will it require God weakening you in some way in order for you to submit or concede to him? Perhaps because you're wrestling with him right now about it, right? Are you willing to submit to him right now? You see, God is sovereign. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's loving. He's merciful. And so much more. I could just keep going on and on about his many attributes. He has your best interests at heart and knows you better than you know yourself. What he wants for you will be what is best for you. You can trust that today. What he wants for you is what is best for you. So maybe you're ready to take this first next step today. It's on the back of your communication card, and it says simply this. My next step today is to concede my wrestling match with the Lord and allow him to guide and direct my life. Are you willing to take that step today? I hope so. While Jacob was, has conceded the wrestling match, he still clings to the man. He still clings to God. The wrestling match moves from the physical to the spiritual. The man asks Jacob to let him go because it was daybreak. 
I'll explain that in just a little bit, at least what I believe is going on there. Jacob replies that he will not let go unless the man blesses him. Volk, he says, Jacob prevails with prayer, not with natural strength. J.I. Packer really unpacks this really uh, in a great way. So I want to read it to you. It's a, a little bit longer of an illustration, but it says, That night, as Jacob stood alone by the river Yabok, God met him. There were hours of desperate, agonized conflict, spiritual, and, as it seemed to Jacob, physical also. Jacob had, had hold of God. He wanted a blessing, an assurance of divine favor and protection in this crisis. But he could not, uh, yeah, but he could not get what he sought. Instead, he grew ever more conscious of his own state, utterly helpless, and without God, utterly hopeless. He felt the full bitterness of his unscrupulous, cynical ways now coming home to roost. He had hitherto been self-reliant, believing himself to be more than a match for anything that might come. But now uh, he felt his complete inability to handle things. And he knew with blinding, blazing certainty that never again dare he trust himself to look after himself and to carve out his destiny. Never again dare he try to live by his wits. The nature of Jacob's quote-unquote prevailing with God was simply that he held on to God while God weakened him and wrought in him the spirit of submission and self-distrust that he had desired God's blessing so much that he clung to God through all his painful humbling till he came low enough for God to raise him up by the speaking peace to him and assuring him that he need not fear about Esau anymore. He's speaking peace to him, right? In that weakening process, he says, Jacob, you can rely on me. I'm going to take care of you. You don't need to worry about Esau who's coming. And so in our weakness, are we clinging to God? In your wrestling match with God, has he had to weaken you in some way? And when he has weakened you, have you let go and walked away from him? Or have you hung on to him for dear life? I want to encourage you to cling to the Lord when he touches you and weakens you as you wrestle with him. That's the second next step today is to cling to the Lord through the weakening state, through my weakened state, instead of letting go of him. Some of us do that, don't we? We just let go. I'm just going to turn away, God. I can't deal with it. And he's saying, don't, don't turn away. Cling to me. Hold on to me. I'm the one who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing who's eternal, loving, and merciful. Don't let go. So instead of wrestling with God, we must cling to God. The transformation of Jacob is about to happen. The second point this morning is renamed. Look at verses 27 to 32 then. This is what God's word says. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. And so I was telling Pastor Mark as I was 
putting the subpoints together for this one. I feel like Dr. Seuss. Because these subpoints are old name, new name, no name, and place name. So it feels a little bit like Dr. Seuss this morning, doesn't it? We see this old name in verse 27. The man asked him, what is your name? We know that the man is God, so he already knows his name, right? The man's not seeking information, but rather transformation. That's the difference. Not information, transformation. Wearsby says, what is your name meant? Are you going to continue living up to your name, deceiving yourself and others? Or, or will you admit what you are and let me change you? And so he answered with his name. He says, my name is Jacob. And so Jacob is admitting that he has been deceptive in the past. That's what his name meant. Jacob meant heel grabber. It meant um, supplanter. It meant deceiver. Not a great name, right? <laughs> and he was living into that name, right? This nominative determinism. Jacob was living into that name. His brother even said that. He said, well, he was well-named. <laughs> He's this deceiver. And so Jacob is now admitting that he has been deceptive in the past. He had been deceptive with his brother, his father, and Laban. And for Jacob's transformation to take place, he had to acknowledge who he had been. And the same is true for us. This is the second principle this morning. Spiritual metamorphosis can happen when we acknowledge our sin. It, that's good for us both for unbelievers and believers. For unbelievers, it's more than just believing in God because the, the, um, the demons believe in God and they shudder. So it's not about believing in God. I think all of us believe that there is some God or some higher power, right? It's more than just being a good person. You know, so many people that you talk to about, uh, about the gospel, they're like, well, I'm a good person. I think God always said me I'm a good person. And then I just simply say, well, let me, let's take a good person test to see if you're really a good person. And we just look to the Ten Commandments, just about five of them. You know, have you ever lied? Yeah. Most people say, yep, I've lied. Have you ever taken anything that doesn't belong to you, even if it's something small? Yeah. So by your own admission, you're a, a lying thief at this point. Yeah, okay. Have you ever taken God's name in vain, used it as a cuss word? Mm, yeah. Okay, so now you're a lying, a lying thief and blasphemer. And then you know, we just look at a couple more, and it's like, well, ha have you ever committed adultery? And you're like, nope, never done that. No, I'm good. And then Jesus in the New Testament says, well, let me explain this to you. He said, you know, if you look at someone else with lust, sexual desire, it's as though you committed adultery with them. Whoops. So, so now, yeah, we're guilty of that. And you go on, you say, we're not supposed to kill anyone, right? It's one of the Ten Commandments. You're like, good, good on that? I haven't done that? Jesus says, again, in the same passage in the New Testament, he says, if you hate someone in your heart, it's though you have killed them. So now by our own admission, right, we're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer, murderer at heart. And then another scripture tells us that if we, if we just fail in one of the Ten Commandments, as though we've broken them all. So you see, we're not really good people. We're not really good people. Romans 3.23 tells us that. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't reach perfection of God because of the sin in our lives. Every one of us is born with a want to to have our own way, to do our own thing. Every one of us. No one is exempt from that. 
all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's kind of some bad news, right? The good news comes in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Well, it actually is bad news and then good news. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin, what we earn or deserve for our sin is death. It's not a physical death because none of us would be here if that were the case because we're all sinners. It's a spiritual death. It's a separation from God because of the sin in our lives. But that's just the first part of the verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you grateful for that? God's free gift for us, to us is eternal life. And it comes through believing in who Jesus is and what he did. You see, God loves us so much. He tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says, you don't have to clean up to come to me. I've already taken care of that. Before you wanted anything to do with me, I already went and sent Jesus to die for your sin. He said, but you do have to recognize who Jesus is and what he did. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 says how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. This was prophesied about hundreds of years before it happened to Jesus. How that Christ died for our sins on the cross according to the scriptures. And the rest of the verse goes on and says and how he came alive again on the third day according to the scriptures. So he was buried and he came alive again on the third day according to the scriptures. This was prophesied. That's what Jesus did for you. He took your punishment when he died on the cross because he loves you so much. We couldn't take our own punishment. Mom and dad can't take our punishment. Grandma and grandpa can't take our punishment. Aunt and uncle can't take our punishment. Why? Because they're all sinners. And scripture talks about the fact that that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. You see, Jesus was holy perfect without sin that's why he's the only one that could take our punishment for sin and that's exactly what he did for us and then romans chapter 9 verses 9 and 10 it tells us this that if we confess with our mouth jesus is lord and believe in our heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved so maybe you're at that point today ready to take that step and so on the back of your communication card, the third next step today is simply this. Be saved by confessing Jesus with my mouth and believing in him with my heart. If you mark that one today on your communication card, make sure to put your, your uh, contact information on the front because I want to talk to you about that. That's an incredible decision. It's a once-in-a-lifetime decision to believe in him, to confess him with your mouth, Believe in him in your heart and be saved. Now, believers, those of you that have already made that decision for Christ, perhaps you feel like your spiritual life has plateaued. Maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life that's kind of keeping you on that plateau level. First John chapter 1, verse 9, God's word tells us, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's for believers today. We're still going to choose to do wrong things. And yet God has said, I'll take care of that if you just agree with me that you've done that. Agree to me, with me that you've sinned. 
And so you can jumpstart your spiritual life once again by confessing and agreeing with God about your sin. And so maybe that's the next step you're ready to take today, and that's to agree with God about my sin and receive his forgiveness and purification. You see, Jacob had to own up to who he was before God could transform him. He had to confess that sin before the Lord. He had to agree with God, my name is Jacob, I'm a deceiver, a supplanter, a heel grabber. And in verse 28, we see that he gets a new name. The man told Jacob that his name would no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Wearsby says, in the Bible, receiving a new name signifies making a new beginning. And this was Jacob's opportunity to make a fresh start in life. His name was changed from deceiver to he struggles with God. That's what Israel means. In Hebrew, it literally reads, they shall say no more, or it shall be said no more that you are a deceiver. Isn't that wonderful? I love how the Hebrew brings that out. This man, God, saying to Jacob, no one is ever going to say of you again that you're a deceiver, a supplanter, a heel grabber. Wow. He's being transformed. This is sanctification. It took 20 years for this process to happen. A spiritual metamorphosis is taking place in Jacob's life People will no longer refer to him, like I said, as a deceiver or a supplanter, but rather as a prevailer and an overcomer. And so it's not that Jacob's desire to prevail has changed, but rather how he prevails that has changed. No longer by manipulation and deception, but through God's power. And Jacob's been transformed from just believing in God to submitting to his life completely to God. In Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 to 22, we read these words. If, it's better translated since, since God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, the Lord will be my God, and the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. That's Jacob as he's heading into Haran. And now we see Jacob as he's heading back out. That was, what Jacob, that was when Jacob believed in God. Now he is following him with his whole life. Spiritual maturity has taken place. It took 20 years for this process for Jacob. I accepted the Lord at the age of four, but it wasn't until I was 36 years old that I really submitted my entire life to him. That's longer than it took for Jacob. I'm not proud of that. Have you submitted your whole life to the Lord? And again, it's more than just believing in him. I want to read just a couple of passages to you this morning. Luke chapter 2. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 14. I apologize. I'm thinking about the previous one. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33 tell us this. Large crowds were uh, traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, his, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he, set not, for, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegate a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he cannot, he has cannot be my disciple. That's submitting our entire lives to Jesus, right? And allowing him to take uh, control of what's going on in our lives. Rome, uh, Rome. Paul, writing to the Philippian believers, in chapter 3, we see these verses in uh, 8 to 11. What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want you to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to, obtain, to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is our theme for 2023. It's becoming more like Christ, right? Here it's talking about suffering with him and following him in his death. He says back in the, in the book of Luke, he says, listen, we have to sacrifice everything. We have to take up our cross. We have to not like our family as much as we like Jesus. We need to like Jesus more. We have to love our family less and the possessions of this world less. And so today can be the day that a spiritual metamorphosis will take place in your life. Since Jacob had shared his name, he asks the man for his name. We see that in verse 29, but he is given no name. Jacob doesn't, that doesn't get that question answered. The man doesn't give Jacob his name, but rather asks him a question. Why do you ask my name? The author immediately states that the man blessed him there. So no name is given for the man. It's like really quick. What's your name? Uh, the, you know, he got blessed. Jacob got blessed. In Judges chapter 13, verses 17 to 18, we see Manoah, Samson's father, asking the angel uh, of Yahweh the same question. The angel's response uh, responds the same way, but with an explanation. Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. It's too wonderful. Hamilton says in both instances, the silence, the hesitancy of the other being begins uh, to produce within Jacob and Manoah a realization of the supernatural status of that being. One wonders if, why is it that you inquire about my name is another way of asking, Jacob, don't you realize who I am? He does. The author continues with Jacob's naming of the place. He calls the place Penueo, which means face of God, or I have seen God face to face. It's here that Jacob acknowledges whom he has been wrestling with. It is God. We can perhaps return to God's request that Jacob let him go because it is daybreak. Jacob may have simply seen the form of God and not the face of God because of the darkness yet. His encounter with God was, was a person-to-person without any intermediary. That's what Hamilton kind of brings out. It's not that he saw the actual face of God. It said he had a person-to-person contact with him with no intermediary. And I, I believe that, or I think that, um, you know, this man is saying, you've got to let me go because he doesn't, if he sees the face of God, he's a dead man, right? 
That's what God says to Moses. He says, well, you can't see my face, but I'll pass by and I'll kind of cover up, you know, the cleft of the rock that you're in. And when I pass by, you can look at my back. He's like, you can't see my face or you're going to die. And I think the same thing is true here. He's like, hey, just let me go. And so Jacob may have simply seen the form of God and not the face of God. And then in verses 31 to 32, we see this tendon tradition that the author mentions. The man has departed at this point since the sun rose above Jacob. Jacob passed by Penuel on his way to cross the Jabok River and rejoin his family. Jacob has a visible limp because of having his hip wrenched in the wrestling match. And the author gives us a history lesson about the Israelites and their eating habits. He says the Israelites don't eat the tendon that's attached to the socket of the hip, and the reason given is because of what happened to Jacob's hip socket in this narrative. And so we're going to see how this spiritual metamorphosis will empower Jacob for the future. It's going to be really, really important. The third and final principle comes from Wearsby's commentary today, and it says when God rules our lives, then he can trust us with his power for only those who are under his authority have the right to exercise his authority. And so are you wrestling with the Lord right now, and do you need to concede? Do you need to cling to the Lord in your weakened state? Is spiritual metamorphosis something you're ready to embrace, either for the first time or as a renewal of your faith? Are you ready to submit your life completely to the Lord? We can help those in our, who are currently wrestling with the Lord by encouraging them as a body of believers to cling to the Lord as he brings spiritual metamorphosis. That's our role as the body, to come along those that are struggling and say, hey, hang in there, cling to God, don't let go. As we think about, you know, not giving in, as Jacob did, I want to read you this closing illustration. On March 10th, 1974, Lieutenant Hiru Inada was the last World War II Japanese soldier to surrender. Let that sink in for a minute. 1974 is when he surrendered from World War II. That's a long time, 30 years. Onada had been left on the island Lubang in the Philippines on December 25, 1944, with the command to carry on the mission even if Japan surrenders. Four other Japanese soldiers were left on the island as Japan evacuated Lubang. One soldier surrendered in 1950. Another was killed in a skirmish with local police in 1954. Another was killed in 1972. Anada continued his war alone. All efforts to convince him to surrender or to, uh, or to capture him failed. He ignored messages from loudspeakers announcing Japan's surrender and that Japan was now an ally with the, of the United States. Leaflets were dropped over the jungle begging him to surrender so he could return to Japan. He refused to believe or surrender. Remember what they told him to do? Continue the mission, even if Japan surrenders. <laughs> Over the years, he lived off the land and raided the fields and gardens of local citizens. He was responsible for killing at least 30 nationals during his 29-year personal war. Almost a half million dollars was spent trying to locate and convince him to surrender. 13,000 men were used to try to locate him. Finally, on March 10th of 1974, almost 30 years after World War II ended, Onada surrendered his rusty sword after receiving a personal command from his former superior officer who read the terms of the ceasefire order. Onada handed his sword to President Marcos, who pardoned him. The war was over. Onada was 22 years old 
uh, when left on the island, he returned a prematurely aged man of 52. Onada stated, nothing pleasant happened in the 29 years in the jungle. Like Onada, many people are fighting a lonely battle against the God who is offering reconciliation and peace. That's what God's offering you today. Don't continue to wrestle with him. Cling to him. Cry out to him. Allow him to transform you. Allow him to rename you. <laughs> you don't have to live under the name that, that you have created for yourself. It's a negative name. You don't have to live into that anymore. You can live into this new name that God gives you. So it's, uh, you allowed that to sink in this morning. And as the worship team comes, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, we thank you for your, the power of your word. We thank you that, that, Lord, we don't have to wrestle with you. We just need to submit to you, concede our desires to you, our battle to you. <clears throat> Lord, help us to cling to you instead of fighting with you. Lord, there may be, may be many people here today that are fighting a battle that's been going on for a long time. Maybe it's a spiritual battle that they've been wrestling with you about for a long time. And Lord, I pray today that they would submit to you, that you would transform them in a powerful way, that, Lord God, you would be honored and glorified through it. And so we just ask this in your precious son's name. Amen. Would you stand?